Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Uh, it is just, uh, I love I love Easter. I love today. I was reading the passage of Scripture at home this morning, um, and it was just getting all weepy. Yeah. So if I, if I lose it in the middle of something, I'm trying to hold it together. I think I got the weeping out. Uh, so, Kareem, take a picture if I, if I start, okay? I'll try not to get too mucousy if, if the tears come. I'm going to talk about the resurrection. I'm going to begin and end with the same declaration. The resurrected Christ lives in you. The resurrected Christ lives in you. I want you to grasp that and don't just hear religious language. Understand the resurrected Christ lives inside of you. And I want to say this statement. Resurrection looks for dead things. You know somebody with a dead marriage? Perhaps you're the answer. Perhaps you're the answer to those people. That the resurrected one inside of you can speak a word that would bring transformation inside a broken marriage and healing would come. Perhaps you know someone given a diagnosis, death sentence. But the resurrected Christ lives inside of you. Perhaps you are equipped with the tools to bring the transformation and change that diagnosis. I've seen it happen again and again and again. Everything in our relationship with the Holy Spirit is about discovering and manifesting The resurrected Christ. Everything is connected. Because without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sin. Everybody say that with me. Without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sin. It's all connected to the resurrection. He is risen! If y'all were really religious, she would have responded with the appropriate, he is risen indeed. That's what church people do. I'll give you another chance. He is risen. He is risen indeed. There will be a test. Without the resurrection, the scripture tells us we can't be born again. Everything hinges on this one thing. The complete victory 
that Jesus had over sin and the powers of darkness, over the grave. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead in Romans 8 and 11, Paul wrote, the same Spirit dwells within us. Let's read it. Romans 8, verse 11. And since it's Easter Sunday, we're going to read the New King James Version. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now, I always heard my dad quote the scripture and he attached it to the rapture of the church. But that's not the context of the scripture. The if the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from that one translation says will quicken. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone before and uh, a light came on in your mind? A quickening. And you spoke a word that pierced through the darkness. That's what this is talking about. When the same spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus comes alive inside of you. And suddenly your words have life because your words within your voice is another voice, a voice within the voice. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of resurrection. Everything you'll ever learn in the New Testament life comes through the Holy Spirit. And it's always to reveal the resurrected Christ. The revelation of Jesus. I'll get back to that. What a year or so ago we preached on the whole uh, book of Revelation. The revelation. When we see Jesus, when we see him On that final day, we're not going to see the crucified one. We're going to see the resurrected one. Whose face is more brilliant than a million sunrises. The resurrected one. Everything. Everybody say, everything is connected to the resurrection. The blood of Jesus is what wipes out sin. But the Bible says without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness. It was the resurrection that validated the sacrifice of his blood. Is it just me or is it warm in here? Good preachers always take off their jacket. At least the kind of good preachers when I was a kid but they always had a ha between every statement. I don't have a ha in me, so. But I might take off my jacket because it feels warm in here. What is the temperature outside right now? Oh, the Holy Ghost is dropping in the room right now. First Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 16 and 17 says this. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. 
and you are still in your sins. It's all connected to the resurrection. So I want to read from the Gospel of Mark today. Every one of the four Gospels tells the story, and each one has uh, differences, different perspective. Each man shared the story, um, but there are some details different in each account. And so I'm going to touch on a little bit, but mostly I'm going to read the whole chapter Y'all ready for the, I don't think I've ever read a whole chapter in a sermon before. So this is my first time. And y'all are so excited about it. Y'all, it's not Psalm 119, all right? That would take us till Friday to get through it all. But uh, Mark 16, starting with verse 1, I'll go through first eight verses. Then we'll stop and talk and pick up the rest. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome. Babe, didn't you play Salome in the play? I remember once Nicole was uh, doing a, we were doing a blocking. We were do, it's a rehearsal, and they're, uh, they're, you know, showing the actors where to go and do all of this. And Nicole is, Salome, and we went to the tomb, and the stone was rolled away. And Salome was attending. She was moving with Mary and Mary. And, and so in the middle of this rehearsal, she's like, she hits her hand on the side of a rock and in the midst of all the stuff, she's oh, I broke a nail. <laughs> so when I see this name, I see Nicole in that costume breaking a nail. And my brother who played John the Beloved just lost it. He couldn't stop laughing. Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, visualize Nicole, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. See, one of the other, we just read it at the first of the service. It said Mary came before while it was still dark. So Mark and John need to get it together. And they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. Now the passage of scripture that we read at the beginning of the service, John said there were two men, right? Come on, Mark. Which one of y'all got it right? I think Mark is just saying the man spoke. There was maybe just one of them spoke. But you see the differences in these two passages of scripture. He was clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Say that. He is risen. He is, risen. He, is he is not here. I have that capitalized. Yeah. They didn't capitalize it in the New King James Version, but I, for me, I wanted to capitalize so I could say it louder. When I capitalize things, I say it louder. If you ever text someone and you do all caps, that means I'm yelling at you on a text. He is risen. Yeah. 
He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. I'll come back to that. That he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb for they trembled and were amazed and they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. I'll come back to that too. That's interesting. Go tell and they said nothing. Here's the test. He is risen. Some of y'all failed. He is risen. So this is different. Usually it's just amen. He said, go tell my disciples and Peter. Aren't you glad sometimes he isolates you? He wasn't saying that Peter wasn't one of the disciples. He was just saying Peter needs a little extra help right now. Because he was pretty vigorous when he denied that he even knew my name. So I'm going to give him a little bonus. Go tell my disciples and Peter that he's going before you into Galilee. Verse 7, they, the angel said, go tell my disciples. Verse 8 says, they trembled and said nothing. These first disciples hit a wall. John adds the elements. When Peter and John ran to the tomb, they got there apparently before Mary. But when they got to the tomb, there was an angel at the foot and the head of where Jesus had been laid. They saw the grave clothes folded where his body used to be. And then the napkin that covered his head had been folded and placed in a separate place. Interesting details. There's this Jewish tradition when if you ever went to someone's house for a meal, there were certain ways you could respond. If you went to a home and the meal was absolutely disgusting, (laughs) been there, There was a certain way that you could fold the napkin. Leave it on your plate so that when you left, when they would look at it, they would know you will never eat that meal again. (laughs) Jesus tasted death. And this napkin had been folded as if to say, I will never taste death again. That was a once and for all kind of meal. I used to feel that way about bologna. I had a bologna sandwich. You know, we used to, that was like, we used to have bologna all the time. In fact, those little Oscar Mayer wieners kind of look like bologna all rolled up. Uh, but we would like, mom would take the, 
the bologna and slice it in four places so that it wouldn't bowl up when she heated it up on the, on the skillet, right? And so then it looked like a little clover leaf thing. But I threw up once after eating bologna, and I never had bologna again. As if to say, I will never taste bologna again. It gives a whole new meaning to, that's a bunch of bologna. If you like bologna, it's okay. No condemnation. The angels at the feet and the head of the place where they laid Jesus reminds me of the Ark of the Covenant. The Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was this golden box that was placed in the Holy of Holies before the Lord. Now, the presence of God wasn't there symbolically. Literally, the manifest presence of God was upon this golden box. On this box, there was an angel on one side and an angel on the other, and they faced one another. In the middle was what we call the mercy seat. Inside this Ark of the Covenant, it was also called the Ark of the Testimony. It was the box that contained the record of testimony. What was in it? The tablets of stone. The revealed will of God. The jar of manna. The covenant of his continuous provision. And an almond rod that had been dead that was now alive with sprouts and buds and blossoms and ripe almonds, which is how God marks his leadership. His leadership is always, is always marked with resurrection life. So he's got this threefold testimony inside the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy seat is on top of it, which tells me, Every time we share our testimony, anytime we share with someone else the word of the Lord spoken to us, we actually usher in the mercy, the mercy seat into that environment. What, What are you talking about? When I share a testimony that the young man in Kissimmee, Florida was healed of cancer, that creates an atmosphere for the mercy of God to show up in your situation. I've seen it happen again and again and again. I will give a testimony about a healed shoulder and somebody in the room's shoulder gets healed because the mercy of God is ushered into the room and your shoulder gets healed. So here we have the cherubim on one side and the other. I'd like to suggest to you that the angel at the head and at the feet of where Jesus' body lay represents the eternal testimony of the Ark 
of the covenant where the mercy of God is on display through the resurrection of Christ. Are you, are you still with me? You still with me? I, I love going. We're going, we're going in November uh, with, with Matt and Lori Crouch. Uh, anybody wants to go? It'll cost you, <laughs> but, but we'll open those doors uh, uh, for anybody that wants to go. It'd be great to have our own bus. Uh, just throw that out there. But I love going to the tomb, and I, and I just envisioned this little cement, concrete stone, whatever it is, a stone uh, crevice where his body lay. And so I, I see in my mind where the angel would have been there, and the angel would have been there, in the napkin folded over in another place saying, I'll never taste death again. The, the vision of the eternal ark of the covenant, the covenant of the resurrection. Now let's continue. Mark 16. I'm going to pick up at verse nine. Uh, I still got a ways to go before I have to start quenching. feel a sense of obligation since one of our serve team put a bottle of water up here. That was a fake gulp, okay? Verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Let's read it again, verses 10 and 11. She went... And told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. Mary Magdalene had had seven demons cast out of her. And in John's gospel, we read it, Jesus died and he goes into the place of the dead. The different places in the gospel describes there are two compartments. One is the place of torment, and the other is a place of comfort. The place of comfort is called, anybody know? Abraham's bosom. I heard someone had it right. Who was that? Was that Abel? It was probably Abel. He knows everything. (laughs) Abraham is the father of faith. So Jesus went in. To broadcast to those who were in this place of comfort. They couldn't go to heaven yet because they hadn't been born again. Because the blood had not been shed until Jesus died on the cross. But he then descended into this place of the dead and made the proclamation. The price has been paid. I had that capitalized so it'd say it really loud. The price has been paid. And they all received gladly that their sins had been atoned for and, the, and wiped off the slate. Yeah. 
And the word says Jesus led captive a host of captives. I like, I like the way he says it there. So here are captives who were captives to the enemy of death. And now they're captives of life. And he takes them and he begins to ascend to the father. As he's ascending to the father, he looks over and sees Mary Magdalene. John's gospel gives us the story. She's weeping at the tomb because Jesus isn't there. And she wants to know who stole his body. So she's there weeping. And Jesus sees her and he stops this whole procession. How do you know this? Because he tells her, I've not yet ascended to the father. We know that he came and led captivity captive. And now he stops. Mary gets his attention on his way as he's ascending. Mary gets his attention. So it's like he's somewhere in between the place of leading a host of captives. And he's on his way to the father. And he's moved by the love and affection of one. And he stops what all of heaven has been waiting for, for ages. And he stops it. So that he can take one moment to spend with this woman who he had cast out seven demons. It's a stunning picture. Matthew tells the story. It says uh, that some of the righteous dead were seen walking in the streets. David is like, I want to go see the old house. I wonder, I wonder what's happening over here. Look what they've done to the place. Because all of this, the Bible says that some of the righteous dead were seen. It's, 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 it's crazy. I think it's when Jesus says, hold on a moment. I'll be right back. And he comes over to talk to Mary. While these other guys are just seeing the sights. While Jesus spends time with Mary. Mary is weeping and he speaks to her. She thinks it's the gardener. Do you know where they've laid him? I want to attend to his body. Notice the affection. Just hear the affection in the tone of her voice. I know you only see it in the writing, but hear it. Do you know where they laid him? She doesn't recognize him when she turns to him until he says, Mary. When he said, Mary, all confusion, all mourning, everything that was competing for her attention and affection just dissolved as she saw the one that she had come for. In that moment, she saw that it was him. John's gospel says that Jesus said, stop clinging to me. So that tells me she must have been clinging to him. Interesting. Jesus was born of a virgin, Mary. He was also the firstborn of the dead. In the virgin birth, the first one to embrace him was the virgin Mary. In the second birth from the dead, the first to embrace him was 
Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. The first one closed out the law. The second one inaugurated the hour of grace. Verse 10 and 11, that's once again. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. There's this unhealthy thing that can occur in our mourning. Erica, you, you, you know... I mean, you're the you're the, the the soonest one that's just lost a loved one, so you know the journey of mourning. But there's this unhealthy thing that can happen. It's because we want to be strong, or demonstrate faith, or there's this denial of bad things happening to good people. And how do we sort through all of this, yeah. Joey? You know, you just lost your best friend, and it's like. Why did this happen? How, how, do we, how do we navigate this? The disciples are in mourning. And because of the mourning, they did not believe. And here is the warning. Mourning will either take you to unbelief or it can take you into an encounter. Where you're healed from the wound, from the pain. And then you become equipped to be a problem solver. He doesn't just, he doesn't just take us out of the pain of the problem or the bad memory of a situation. But he takes us to a redemptive solution. And we become the very messengers to the thing that was trying to destroy us. Hear that, Joey. Hear that. You see it in Isaiah 61. Jesus read this passage in the, in, the, in the synagogue. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me to preach good tidings. The message was to the poor, to the broken, to the wounded. And then down in that verse, the ones that were wounded and broken are the ones that he declares will rebuild the ancient ruins the very ones that were being despised and rejected by society are being restored by Jesus. And in that place of restoration, they become the rebuilders. That's, that's what's happening here in the morning. Morning requires honesty and abandonment. Honesty because you have to be honest about what you're experiencing. This doesn't seem fair. This shouldn't be happening. Not like this. The promise was given to me. And now I've experienced all this disappointment. So you've got to be honest. But then there has to be abandonment to the one who is trustworthy. There has to be a point in which you say, I don't know what's going on here. But I give myself to you completely because you are the only one who is absolutely 
perfectly trustworthy. And I trust you. I don't understand this pain. I don't like this pain. This just, just, this is not fair. But I trust you. There is a point in the morning and tears are welcome. There's no problem with that. What you don't want to do is be like the disciples in this case. Their mourning led them to this place of being rigid. And they couldn't receive truth. Don't let the dark days take you into a place where you're not able to receive truth. Some of you... Some of you may not, it may not be because you've lost someone, but just the crazy condition of our world right now. You're so caught up. If you're not careful and you watch the news every day, you will be so depressed or hopeless about where we are. Verse 14, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. I'm going to read that again. Later, he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Here's something I think we can all agree on. We don't want to be gullible. We heard all the prophets prophesy that he would be president. Now I don't want to hear any prophet say anything. I almost said, Sean, die. (laughs) We've all heard people boast about certain things and found out later that it wasn't true. They had this vision or this prophecy, and it just didn't happen. None of us want to be gullible. It would be cruel of the Lord to want me to believe any report that I've heard. If there wasn't something in the report that caused me to be aware of the source. Either the source was God or the source was not. But somehow, there's a knowing in the heart of the believer when the word word is spoken. You may not even like the person that's speaking it. Surely there's not anybody in the room that dislikes me. Please don't tell me if you don't. In Jesus' second most famous sermon, his most famous sermon was the Sermon on the Mount. The second was in John chapter 6. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Nobody bought that podcast. Nobody shared it on Facebook. Sent it to their friends. At the end of this message, 
We must have been 15 to 20,000 people because it was there where he multiplied the food and did some extraordinary miracles. Then he stands up to preach and decided to take a different twist on this sermon. His other sermons weren't quite so offensive. But this one, he nailed them. You have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they started complaining. So he turns it up a notch. By the time he gets to the end, everyone has left except for the disciples. Jesus turns to the 12 and says, are you guys leaving too? Now, Peter got it right on a few occasions. There were times he was saying all the wrong things, but this time he got it right. You have to give him credit. He said, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen to what he's saying. Where are we going to go? Every time you talk, we come alive inside. We don't understand the sermon, eat my flesh and drink my blood any more than the masses that left. But what we do know is that when you talk, we find out why we're alive. Because there is something in the words. Jesus explained it to them. He said, my words are spirit. There's life and presence on his words. When we become a people that recognize what he is saying by recognizing the life from the words and the presence that becomes manifest, then we can accept the something new that is said. Verse 12 says, after that, he appeared in another form to two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Guys, I'm just telling you, from this side of the story, you need to get it right. He says he appeared in another form. He didn't come like they expected. We all love the promise of God that he's about to do a new thing. We just hope he does it the way he did it last time. Everybody I know is crying out for a move of God in the earth. Every ministry, every pastor, every evangelist, every apostle, every prophet is crying out for a move of God. They just want it to happen with some familiarity. And the Lord has this habit of not only repeating the testimony, but adding to it through one more additional thing that is offensive. When he added tongues, a lot of people got upset. But I will tell you this. He will not violate his word. He will never violate his word, but he doesn't mind violating my understanding of his word. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
He will never violate his word, but he doesn't mind violating my understanding of his word. I was going to say violating your, but then that kind of feels like I'm talking down to you, so I'm just going to own it. So we hear, here we have this story where the disciples are disappointed and in great pain. Why? Because they'd given three and a half years of their life to somebody who is now dead, and now they've got nothing to show for it. They left everything to follow him. So they're in intense disappointment and great mourning. Why? Because they loved him. They were devoted to him, and now he's gone. Somebody comes along with news that is just too good to be true. Sometimes it's true because it is too good to be true. They come with the news. He's alive. But they are in so much pain. Not wanting to be gullible. They've already left everything to follow him. So then what happens? You try to protect yourself from that. And so you overcompensate and end up keeping yourself from faith. You can either have dignity or you can have faith. You can work to preserve your dignity or you can give yourself to faith. Why? The resurrection is not just the victorious story that happened 2,000 years ago. Resurrection matters today. This is why Jesus could rebuke them. Because when the report was spoken, presence and life were on the words. But they were so anxious. They had such anxiety that they became unavailable to what God was saying. What God was actually doing. Anxiety causes me to lose track of the tools that God placed in my life. Anytime we find ourselves in a difficult place, the enemy can make us mindful of the waves around us in the storm while we're in the boat. Mindful of the threats. Mindful of the Democrats and the Republicans and everything in between. So that I take my eyes off of the one safe place. And on to all the other possibilities. And in that anxiety, suddenly I can't remember one thing that God has taught me. There's not a person in this room that's facing something that God has not already prepared you for. Just because you can't remember it doesn't mean that he didn't put it in you. And it's fighting for that place of peace. Fighting for the place of acknowledged presence. We're a presence people. 
That's why we say it again and again to make you aware that we are a people that focus on the presence and not the problem. We're honest. We know the problems exist, but our focus is on the presence of the one that prevails. Our responsibility is to recognize the word of the Lord. Not necessarily the approval of the messenger or the personality through the message that was given. Oftentimes, God will put what you're hungry for in a group of people that you want nothing to do with. Yo, there are people sometimes that come into this building that kind of grate on me. And I do my best to love them anyway. And they're not here today. <laughs> they were here Friday night. No, no. But, but you find yourself wanting to avoid. But then all of a sudden you'll end up in a conversation with them and they'll say something and the presence of God is on what they said. And he's like, that's not supposed to happen. I don't even like you. None of you here. I like everybody here. Ask me after church and I'll tell you who I'm talking about. Presence is released in those divine moments. A word is shared. And it's up. It's the responsibility of the hearer to be able to say, he is on that. I need to recognize exactly what he is saying. I need to recognize that it's a divine moment because there's life and presence on it. So I am the head of my house. But Nicole is the neck. And she can turn the head (laughs) any way she wants. Sometimes the word comes through me. Sometimes the voice of the Lord comes through her. Sometimes it comes through her and I don't like that it came through her. Because she called me out on something a long time ago. Sometimes the word of the Lord could come through our children. I remember Nicole and I were living in Nashville, Tennessee. And I think Cole was eight or nine years old. So Gracie was whatever. So we decided we're going to go see a movie. It was rated PG-13, I think. The Talladega Nights. I mean, I heard that it was a good movie. I really didn't know anything about it. It had just come out. Everybody's talking about it. And so we go to see the movie. In the first three minutes, there's so much language. And I'm like, oh, God, my kids are here. And all of a sudden, the voice of my little nine-year-old said, 
I think we should leave. <laughs> and there was presence on it. There was enough presence on it. Our hearts, to grip our hearts. And we didn't, we just got up and left. We didn't say anything. I, I was too embarrassed to try to explain to them. But I heard the voice in the voice, and I got myself up out of there. Is this making sense? I remember uh, sometimes we have to recognize his presence when we see something different in church that we're not used to. And so we become skeptical. I remember when Nicole and I went to Las Vegas, to the International Church of Las Vegas. I remember that about the first time we're there. And uh, just let me tell you, these people are a little crazy on the crazy edge. Uh, do you remember, D-Lo, was a couple years ago, that lady with the flag was, I'm with the keyboards over here, and the lady's over on the edge, and she's swinging this flag, and she hits me in the head with the flag. <laughs> And I stopped the song, and I said, lady, <laughs> you hit me with that flag. You need to move over a little bit. Uh, you know, but they just do some crazy things. I mean, these people have more zeal than, than I don't even know what to do with. But there was this, there was this point where we're kind of... We're feeling skeptical. And I remember Nicole and I having this conversation at this conference. Dilo, this was way before you ever went with us there. This was, Nicole and I were like, you know what? I, I think we need to pause and embrace what God might be trying to say to us. And it's kind of like we just, you kind of close your eyes. And it's different. But you recognize the presence is the same. It's the same presence that took me under the piano years, a few years before. It's the same presence in all of these other places that we recognize. And so we had to pause and get our eyes off of the crazy and recognize that it was him. And it was in this building at this church, the multiple times that we'd gone over the years where up on the stage where the keyboard was, it started raining inside the building during worship. I mean, it rained, guys. It was 114 degrees outside, not a cloud in the sky. There weren't any pipes from the air condition to be, to, where there would be condensation dripping. It was just a phenomenon. There was actually at one point a video on YouTube. And we're in this church in worship, and it just starts raining inside the building. What do you do with that? I, I tell you what I did. I'm like, y'all can sit here and look at it if you want to. I, and I was the first to get up there and stand under the flow. I'm like, God, if you're going to do something this crazy, I want to be in the middle of whatever it is you're doing. He will appear differently in different occasions. And you have to adjust to him. 
He doesn't have to adjust to you. But he will let you know him by his presence. There will be life on it. He'll let you recognize the source of the word in a miracle or a certain activity. He didn't set us up to fail. He didn't set us up to fall into deception. He set us up for life. And you have to learn how to recognize it. Jesus preached to them, eat my flesh. Drink my blood. And they said, and he said to them, are you also going to leave? And Peter says, where else are we going to go? Your words are life. Our heart, our hearts come alive whenever you talk. Do you ever just have a conversation? I, it's, I remember there are times when Lisa Lyman is leading the prayer nights, and there are sometimes it's Lisa, but then there are times when the presence, the, the quickening, the life on the words that she's speaking, it, there's a shift. We, we all know it. We've seen it. I, I hope that something I'm speaking today that you, you laugh at the times when you're supposed to laugh, but then you hear life. Yes, yes, yes. Our hearts come alive whenever you talk. I can be in the middle of a conflict when everything is out of control, but when he speaks, the difficulties don't matter anymore. Suddenly I'm alive. I may not understand what's being said, but somehow I know I'm at the right place at the right time because there is life on it. Let's finish the chapter. This is the time where I start quenching. Verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go into all the world, all, everybody say all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. God wants you to envision bringing healing to the entire planet. Preach the gospel to every creature. Verse 16 through 18 says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. And they will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. These signs follow those who believe. I don't know about you, but when I hear that, there's life on it. Verse 19, so then, after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them 
and confirming the word through accompanying signs. Amen. Sometimes we say, find out what God is doing and then join what he is doing. But this verse emphasizes a little different. It says, the Lord worked with them. They went out and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them. Confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Sometimes nothing happens because we haven't said anything. Anyone can boldly decree after God has shown up performing miracles. But show me the person who will make the bold decree before he comes and I'll show you where he's going to show up. The bold decree attracts him into the environment to confirm his word. So I have to stop where I started. I'm going to say this. I've pulled some notes that I had a few years ago. I'm just going to read this. The devil is not creative. He just distorts what is real. Everything he says is a lie. And he lies to convince us that the problems we face are bigger than the solution we carry. What is the solution? You are a carrier of his presence. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells inside of you. You live in the will of God. And you've been given the privilege to display the king and the kingdom. But the devil will try to make you mindful of what you lack instead of what the Bible tells you you have. This is it. This is the end. The resurrected Christ is living in you. Resurrection looks for dead things. The resurrected Christ is within us looking for possibilities because that is the appetite of God to fix the unfixable, to restore what can't be restored. He can do it. And that's what we've been called to be. But the fear of man will connect us to an inferior reality when we have to rehearse in our mind what someone's going to think before we'll make a decision. Well, I can't do that because I don't want them to think that I'm trying to be spiritual. And you'll talk yourself out of the voice of God. And this is my final statement. We live as people with access to heavenly solutions for earthly problems. The resurrected Christ lives inside of you. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.